Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. And today we're getting curious about our emotions as signposts, as data that signals what we value. So a lot of times I think that we end up doing the things that feel good in the moment, but that we know are not the right decisions for us. So it may relieve or feel like it relieves some sort of short-term suffering, but it definitely doesn't serve our long-term growth or or our overall well-being. So there's this wise old Cherokee legend. You may have heard the story before. In case you haven't, it's a story about these two wolves that's related to this idea. So this is how it goes. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false praise, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace love hope serenity humility kindness benevolence empathy generosity truth compassion and faith the same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too the grandson thought about it for a minute and then he asked his grandfather which wolf will win the old cherokee simply replied the one you feed what does that mean That means that what we pay attention to is what gets stronger. And I think this story is about acknowledging that we can have these, you know, polarized thought patterns, these kind of like proverbial angels and devils that sit on our shoulders, right? But I feel like I want to take it a step further with this story and say that I think the power here is actually in the understanding that neither of those things neither wolf is us it is just they are diff they're basically different ego-based thought patterns that we have kind of curated based on our past experiences our lived experience but the beauty is that we get to choose between them they don't call the shots we do and this also relates to this buddhist principle that i've studied a lot and it's this idea of observe don't absorb observing without absorbing noticing what thoughts come up without judgment and then just getting curious about what underlying values those emotions signal so today i want to talk about an author she's also a harvard medical school psychologist her name is dr susan david she has this book it's an incredible book it's called emotional agility Uh, It's on a a ton of, like, top book lists in, like, behavioral psychology, organizational psychology, leadership, all this stuff. But she talks about emotions as data and not directives, as signposts that show us what we care about. And the stronger the emotion we feel, the stronger the likely correlation that emotion has to our deeply held values. So... Our emotions signal to us our needs. They show us what matters to us. So, for example, if you're feeling maybe bored, 
that might be signaling to you that you need more growth in your work, maybe more of a challenge, more variety. Uh, if you're feeling lonely, that could mean that you just need to feel more connected, more part of something bigger than yourself. All of these things, they're all signposts that we might need to follow in order to get us where we want to be. Uh, you've probably heard this staggering statistic that the average human has over 6,000 thoughts per day. 6,000 per day. And unfortunately, the vast majority of those thoughts are negative recurring thoughts. They are the same ruminations about the past and the same anxieties about the future that we had yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And a lot of times our, our emotional responses to those thoughts can cause more pain than the situation that provoked them in the first place, right? They can keep us stuck in the past and prolonging our own suffering by continuing to come back to them. You know, we all have these emotions that feel hard about, you know, loneliness and anxiety. And we have these stories that we tell ourselves about who we are in the world. And the longer that we allow them to persist and to dominate, our minds, the more cemented those neural pathways become in our brains. And Dr. David, she also says that there are three interconnected factors involved with this concept, the emotions, the thoughts, and the stories. So let's use an example of like, maybe our partner broke their word, they lied to us. The emotion that we might feel is intense anger and betrayal. So then we have a thought about their motivation behind doing that thing. This then turns into a story we tell ourselves about how they clearly don't value us, respect us, love us. And then we go on to look for further proof to validate that story. And now we've created this perpetual vicious cycle of negative thought patterns, of assuming bad intentions and assigning meaning to actions without the proof. Instead of having those albeit hard, but healthy, direct conversations, that communication with our partner about how something they did may have felt like it violated our values. Maybe they weren't even aware. Maybe they were. Either way, you have to bring those things into light or they will fester and they will just eat away at the foundation of that relationship. And sometimes, sometimes we just choose to ignore those negative emotions. We suppress them, we deny them, because they just feel too hard, too painful to process. But here's the thing, we all have those. Like, we have to recognize that experiencing difficult thoughts and emotions and creating stories out of those, it's just a normal part of the human condition. And Dr. David also says that there's an opposite here. The, the opposite of emotional agility is emotional rigidity. So that's when you clench tightly to these negative emotions and experiences instead of just kind of noticing them in a way that's flexible and light. It's when we fixate on these things. We can't let them go when we like brood and we blame and we allow it to just deplete our energetic resources, right? Then on the other side, emotional agility, that's a skill we can actually hone. This doesn't have to come to us inherently, and it doesn't for most people. This is, this is a lifelong practice. 
of just noticing those hard emotions in a way that's curious and compassionate and not judgmental. And that really involves acknowledging the weight of our emotions, how heavy they can feel, allowing ourselves to just feel those emotions and then choosing to find the lessons in them and then having gratitude for those lessons. You know, we can ask ourselves in those tough situations, you know, what is my anger telling me about what I value? What is my fear telling me? What is my disappointment telling me? You know, say you have like a super annoying coworker who like always talks over you in meetings. <laughs> I've had those. I've had plenty of those. I've probably been that person, by the way, as well. Uh, <laughs> but this makes you feel, I'm sure, a lot of anger and irritation towards that person. And that probably signals that what you value is feeling respected and feeling heard, right? And that is information that you can use the next time this inevitably happens. And it will enable you to not succumb to that initial heightened knee-jerk negative emotion that you have, but to acknowledge what it signals about your values. And then you can take control back. You can pause. You can notice what's coming up. You can take a beat and then respond thoughtfully, intentionally, versus that initial emotional reaction that was probably based on whatever triggered your ego there. And I think often people do things not out of malice towards us. You know, it's not usually about us, but it's because of their own trauma, their own toxic patterns. The thing is the why, the intention, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, when someone crosses a boundary of ours, I'm going to give you permission and I hope you give yourself permission that it's okay to sever that connection. Like they don't have to have meant to, quote unquote. The intention really isn't what matters. It's whether or not you feel that your values are violated. It's how your energy is affected. And creating distance between ourselves and people who don't bring the best out of us, like that's just self-care, plain and simple. Dr. David, she says that a, cr a crucial component of emotional agility is the necessity to be compassionate and kind to ourselves. So a lot of times I think we default to invalidating ourselves, uh, comparative suffering, like I don't have it as bad as they do. Um, this isn't that big of a deal. Why am I so upset? Uh, you know, telling ourselves we shouldn't feel what we feel. And self-compassion actually allows us to kind of openly explore and take risks and be vulnerable. And it allows us to, you know, approach things with love and put our hand up for an opportunity that's outside of our comfort zone because we know that if it doesn't work out, if something goes wrong, we'll always be forgiving of ourselves. We'll be kind to ourselves. If the worst case scenario manifests, we'll be kind to ourselves and we'll still be okay. And we also tend to fill in the gaps um, in our own heads. When we don't have the answers we want from someone else, we, we kind of have a tendency to like create them in our mind. You know, someone does something that we perceive as treating us poorly and we want to assume that they did that thing to hurt us. You know, we want closure. We just want certainty about their motivation so we can decide whether we're justified in how we feel. <laughs> but a lot of times we don't get that closure, right? We never get that certainty. 
And so we have to let go of the power that we've given them and take it back for ourselves. We have to choose to be okay regardless of circumstance, of how it turns out. And we have to choose not to give more time and energy to those things that don't serve us. And beyond that, the things that are actively hurting us. And we have to redirect our focus back to the present, to the connections that do nourish us, to the things that help us grow, to the things that help us expand. And I know that self-victimization, it can feel it can feel really soothing, you know, going back to that initial thing we were talking about of, you know, we tend to do the easier thing in the short term, the thing that feels good in the short term, but isn't good for us in the long term. I think self-victimization is one of those things that we do to ease the suffering in our immediate circumstances, but it doesn't actually improve what's going on, right? It doesn't improve the situation. It doesn't help us get over that hard thing. You know, whether that's a breakup or maybe a job we didn't get, like, it can feel good to externalize blame, you know? They're a shitty human, you know? They have no moral compass. Um, you know, karma will come back around and bite them. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, if it's about a job, you know, th this job opening was rigged from the start. You know, they probably already had an internal candidate they were going to promote, but they just, like, you know, checked the box, had to list the role publicly, legal reasons, whatever. We want to justify it somehow. There's, there's actually a concept in psychology called the fundamental attribution error. So basically that's when, when something good happens, we tend to attribute it to something good that we did. You know, we created our own good fortune and good circumstance, and we want to feel ownership of that. But we tend to do the opposite when it comes to bad things that happen. So we want to externalize the cause, the root. We want to cast blame outwards on others. We want to absolve ourselves of responsibility, of the possibility that any part of that was in our control. And I think regardless of whether or not there's any truth to our tendency to externalize the root of those bad things, the point is that the thoughts, those types of thoughts, if we give into them, they're just not productive, right? And they don't, they don't help us find the lesson in our pain and our perceived loss. And it is freaking hard. It is hard emotional work. But the only way that we're going to grow is when we deliberately look for the lesson. And we ask ourselves, you know, what is the universe, what is the situation trying to teach me? You know, what can I take from this that will help me, you know, alter, refine my approach to this type of situation in the future. Or maybe the lesson is to make sure that we don't end up in this type of situation again in the future <laughs> by kind of allowing us to see those red flags earlier and choose a different path, different course of action. And just notice what emotions come up. Notice what emotions help us expand versus which ones feel like they kind of involuntarily make us shrink. You know, what opens us up versus what closes us off. So the next time that you're in the middle of a difficult situation, I really encourage you to take, just take a moment and actually write down what emotion or emotions you're feeling. Then I'm going to turn that paper over and write down what those emotions signal about a value of yours that you feel has been 
violated. And then I want you to find the lesson. So Dr. David, she says, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. And sometimes it, it takes these hard situations to know what we truly value. And the more we understand our values, the, the better we know ourselves, right? And the better we know ourselves, the more we can live in alignment and direct our energy towards the things that serve us and away from the things that drain us, that are not for us, that don't deserve our time or energy. I hope this was helpful. And if any part of it was, please share it with somebody who you think could benefit from it too. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay curious.